Everybody doing good tonight? Awesome. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be kicking off Vineyard Sunday nights. Like, my favorite part of the week, anyways, is worshiping with you all on Sundays. And so more of that can't be a bad thing, right? You know? So I'm really excited. How many of you, I'm just kind of curious, were here this morning? Like, oh, man, we got a lot. It's like, it's like 90% of the room, maybe even more. Yeah. So, you know, we just want to, you know, take a good thing that's happening on Vineyard Sunday mornings, bring it to Vineyard Sunday nights, and bless, you know, more people that way. So I'm really excited. And I'm really honored and privileged to, to be up here and getting to kick this off. We're going to be starting, um, I think we talked about maybe a six-week study on Exodus. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So I'm going to kick that off tonight. Uh, Angie told you a little bit about myself. Um, yeah, I did go to CU, graduated 2008. Um, I met my wife there. We got married here. So, you know, this is, this is my roots right here. Um, so it's really good. And then, yeah, like Andrew said, we, after I graduated, we moved in search of jobs, as college students are wont to do, right? Yeah, so um, I got a job early 2009 as a youth pastor in a small church in Meade County. Right. Um, I've been meeting a lot of students like here the last couple of weeks, and they've been doing the hand thing, you know, Kentucky. Uh, Campbellsville's here, Meade County, somewhere around here. It's like right around Fort Knox. Um, so, yeah, that's where we were, little country church, for about two and a half years. And then it just kind of became time for us to move on. Emily was looking to get her master's, and I was only part-time. And so we left our church there. We, we were really missing it around here, our home. Um, we never really felt like... We left the vineyard. We always felt like we were still apart. You know, uh, the audio archive was great. That didn't exist when I was coming here, but after I left, it was a brand new thing, and it was really a blessing to me. Um, and the vineyard newsletter, if you haven't signed up for that, you need to plug. Yes, awesome. So, yeah, and then so we got back here. The Lord's been really good to us. Uh, Emily works at Lindsay Wilson College. Any uh, LWC folk in here? No? Oh, yes, in the back. Awesome. Representing. Yeah, we live on campus. Uh, we went from our own house, a parsonage at the church that we were working at, to living on campus back in an apartment building. But it's really good. The Lord's blessing us, and um, we really are glad to be back. I'm working over at CU. I have a position over there. So that's just a little bit about me. Because um, really, I mean, if you just started coming to the venue the last couple of years, you'd have no idea who I was. So I thought, you know probably should introduce myself a little bit. I know for me, when I'm listening to a speaker, if I have no idea what, you know, who they are, where they come from, I'm just distracted the whole time, so I wanted to eliminate that for you guys right off the bat. Cool. So, so yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. All right, so we're going to be digging, digging in to Exodus, and to me, it's a really important book. I just feel like um, Exodus is this beginning of, of God pouring out his heart for his people, beginning to uh, build the kingdom uh, we're kind of going to talk about that a little bit. And um, also, I'm just really glad that we're getting into the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament is good. You know, we don't want to leave it behind. We want to dig in there. Um, and I was actually reading this article this past week. It's a couple of Bible, scho- Bible scholars. They were doing like a question-answering thing. And um, they were actually, it caught my eye because they were talking about the gospel of the kingdom, which is something that's really big, you know, really big thing that we emphasize around here. Um, and we've been talking about in our home groups so I was kind of reading through it, and one of the things that stuck out to me as they were talking about this, um, they were talking about shortcomings of shortening the gospel to only being about going to heaven when you die. Right? And um, that's something that's been mentioned here in, a few weeks ago, and we've been talking about in our home group. 
And one of the things that one of these, these smart scholarly types said was, you know, if we're only preaching a gospel that says you get to go to heaven when you die, you don't really have any need for the Old Testament, right? You could probably get by with just John 3.16 and, and, you know, go from there, you know, have faith, believe in the Lord, eternal life. Who cares after that, right? But no, and, and that was his point, you know, like the Bible it has so much rich instruction for us and it matters to us today. And because here at the Vineyard we do care about the kingdom and we do care about spiritual formation and discipleship, um, it is, it's, it's something that we need to invest in. So that's why I'm really excited to be looking into Exodus. Um, and so as we get into it, I need to build a little bit of the backstory. Second book of the Bible, right? So there's a lot that's already happened in the history of man. And we have a couple of challenges that um, we're going to have to overcome as we're, we're digging into these stories. And I think the first one is this, that um, we need to take these stories off the pages of our children's storybook Bibles, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of these stories are really familiar to us. We've grown up with them. You know, you, if you've gone to Sunday school in your lifetime, you've probably heard these, story, these stories. Um, and they can kind of come across as just like these cute things you read to your kids at night. And so we want to take them off the pages of our, our children's storybook Bibles and allow them to speak into our lives now. So that's the first challenge. And then the second is that we really want to begin to see these stories through the lens of Jesus, through the eyes of Jesus. We have an advantage. You know, Jesus has come. He's come to earth. Um, and he's shown us who God is really like. And so we can go back and we can read these stories in Exodus and look at them through the lens of Jesus and this filter of Jesus and pick out, you know, what, what is God really like? What, what misconceptions do I have about God um, that are totally wrong that Jesus, you know, Jesus shines his light on? So those are the two challenges we're going to have as we're digging into it, All right? And, and we just really want to make it something that speaks to us tonight in this room in these purple chairs, right? Um, so really, all of this really began with Abraham, right? Uh, Father, Father Abraham. Uh, chosen one of God, the one out of all the uh, all the people on earth, God said, you know, I want to bless you. I want I want you to be um, the father of my people, my nation, and um, yeah, and and the one that is going to birth this nation that God can call his very own. And and God says this to Abraham right when he doesn't have any kids and he's really old, and um, Abraham's kind of skeptical, um, but God just speaks his dream and his vision over Abraham. And it gets birthed into reality with Isaac, the child of promise, right? Um, so Isaac comes. He, he grows up. He has two children of his own, Esau and Jacob. He blesses Jacob, the younger one. Well, maybe we'll get into that. I don't know. Um, later, but he blesses Jacob, and he passes on the blessing of God. And then Jacob really runs with it, and he, he grows this promise exponentially because he has 12 children. Twelve children, not the least of which is Joseph. And Joseph is, is how we end up, how the people of, of Israel end up in Egypt in the first place. So the story really takes off with him. Um, he's the most favorite of all of his brothers, and because of that, his brothers get really jealous. And so they just say, they, they come up with a scheme. They say, we're going to sell him to, into slavery. Uh, well, first they wanted to kill him, but they settled on selling him to slavery. Thank God, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, so they sell him into slavery. The slave traders take him to Egypt. Um, and the thing about Joseph is he was he had favor and he prospered at whatever he did. Um, and it just happened to be first he was in the home of Potiphar, the, his you know owner, I guess you could say, and then it was in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and then finally it was as the second com- in command to only to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And God used these circumstances in Joseph's life to, um, to bless Jacob's family, to take care of them in their t- time of need. Uh, there was a great famine that ravaged the land, and um, they were going hungry, and Jacob sent a couple of his sons to Egypt. And through that, the family was reconciled, and um, Joseph said, bring them all down. Everybody moved to Egypt. And that's how the people of God ended up in Egypt. It's kind of good to understand that as we're getting to move into Exodus, and we're going to be talking about the Exodus of Israel out of Egypt. It's kind of just good to have that little bit of that backstory as we're digging into that. So when we get to Exodus 1, everything is changed, right? Um, Joseph had all the favor of God and all the favor with Pharaoh, um, and because of that, he was able to take care of a whole nation and, and his own people group. Um, but by the time we get to Exodus 1, um, generations have gone by. Uh, Israel made it to Egypt, and they multiplied, and they prospered, and they multiplied, and they prospered, and they multiplied, and they prospered. Um, so much so that a new pharaoh came along, and he started to get really threatened. Right? Um, he got really threatened by what was going on, and uh, he decided that he needed to do something about these people pesky Jews, right, you know, um, he wasn't going to have it that his country, his countrymen were going to be outnumbered by these outsiders, so he, he came up with a two-step plan, first one was enslave all the Jews, enslave all the Hebrews, um, and so that's what they did, you know, they brought out the whips, and, uh, they enslaved them, they made them all slaves, they made them build pyramids, I don't know, buildings, things like that, um, but the thing is, is, it was more than just building pyramids. Because that's kind of how I've always thought of it, you know, like Pharaoh enslaved the, the Hebrew nation, and they, uh, you know, they built all these pyramids. But Pharaoh had a deeper purpose than that. It was more than just building the pyramids, but he wanted to break their will. Right? So, like, you know, when you're doing a, a, a job, you know, usually your purpose is just to finish that job. But Pharaoh had it in his mind that he was going to have them do this job, but at the same time, he wanted to break their will. He wanted to break them down, and he wanted to destroy them. So it was like a whole other level of agony. Because I'm sure building a pyramid is hard enough all in it by itself, but when you have instructed the slave drivers to just break them down and break them down, um, even to the point, even if it means that they fail at building the pyramid, it's a totally different level of agony. So that was step one, enslave the Jews. Second step was he, he got the midwives together, the midwives that were taking care of the delivery of all of the, the um, Israelite women. And, and he, he told them, he said, kill all of the, the Hebrew boys. You know, if a boy is, is born, just go ahead and kill them. But if a girl is born, let them live. Um, the part of this plan that didn't work was he didn't know, Pharaoh didn't know that the midwives weren't his. The midwives actually were the Lord's. They, they feared the Lord more than they did Pharaoh. So they just totally ignored him. They made up some excuses. You know, like, man, these, 
these Israelite women, they must be really good at, at birthing children. We just can't get to them. Um, if, so Pharaoh kind of got upset with that, you know, as you probably would too if you were in his shoes. Um, and so, so he took it up a notch. He said, I'm going to take it out of the hands of the midwives. And he said, just period, if a, a Hebrew boy is, is born, we're going to throw them in the Nile. Right? So this is the environment that Moses was born in. Right? We're, we're taking it off the storybook Bible pages, and we're, we need to just put ourselves in it. This was desperate times. You know? Um, like, things were so desperate that parents had it in their mind that it would be a good idea to just throw their babies in the Nile to save them from what was happening. Right? Um, so you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes a little bit. Like, you know, Emily and I have been married three years, but we still haven't had children, and that's okay with me. You know, <laughs> we're all right. So it's kind of hard, you know, to say, okay, yeah, I have a baby boy or whatever. But I think I can put myself in those shoes, you know. Like, that's going to be a good day when I have my first child. It's going to be a really awesome day. And that's how it was for Moses' parents, right? They just had a baby. It's changed their lives, you know. And it's not just a baby, it's a boy. So he's going to carry on the family name, which was a really big deal back then. Personally, you know, either way, boy, girl, I'm all right. But, you know, to them it was a really big deal. Just got to get that out there, a little disclaimer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's changed their life. They're just, you know, blessing the Lord. They're, saying, they're being thankful for his goodness. But the joy is short-lived because in the back of their minds they know, you know, Pharaoh's coming, right? You know, and you just put yourself, put yourself in those shoes. You know, you've just had a boy. And everything is awesome, except for you know the government's coming because they have it out for him. But the fact that your baby was born a boy means he was born with a death sentence, right? And it's not just this like crazy conspiracy theory, right? Because you know people it's happened to. In fact, your neighbors down the street, they saw their boy get thrown in the river two days ago. Right? And they're going to come, they're going to take your baby boy, and they're going to throw him in Green River, and he's going to be never seen again. This was really desperate times. Like, Moses' parents, they, they said, you know, okay, we'll put our baby boy in the river, but we're going to do it on our terms, right? So they said, we'll get a basket, we'll waterproof it with some, some pitch and some tar or something like that, we'll put him in there, and we'll put him in the river, but we're not sending them away with the best that we can give them as far as protection and our, and our prayers and stuff go. You know, they were doing something that you would never, if you were in their shoes, you would never think you would have to do in a million years, right? Just really desperate. And, and this is the, the craziness and, and, and the chaoticness that Moses was born into. But, you know, as it would turn out for Moses, he was rescued, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about him, probably. Um, he was rescued. His sister just happened to stick around and, and watch to see what would happen. And uh, Pharaoh's own daughter actually came out, saw the basket as she was getting ready to take a bath, and uh, picked up the child and um, said, you know, I'm going to raise him myself. And so Moses uh, was rescued. He was raised as an Egyptian. So he was raised as a stranger um, to his own people. 
And um, as, an, as an Egyptian, I feel like he maybe even had this kind of curiosity about his own people group. Um, because he goes out one day after he's a grown man, and he, he goes out and he's you know, kind of watching, and he sees one of the slave drivers just furiously beating one of the Israelites. And it makes him just bloody mad. <laughs> Um, and so he thinks no one, when he thinks no one's looking, he just kills the guy, right? Um, but because of that, Moses, you know, somebody was watching and, you know, the word got out and he had to flee. So he took off. Um, so he settled down out in the country with his eventual father-in-law, Jethro. Um, and he basically just became... He just became this shepherd, right? And I really think, like, he would have been content just to live that out. Just, you know, I'll be a shepherd all the rest of the days of my life. You know, I'll be all right. It's kind of like he was entering the witness protection program, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'll just, I'll just be a shepherd. I can leave all of this behind. I don't have to worry about that. I'll be away from everything that's happening to the Israelites in Egypt. They're not going to come and get me. Um, you know, it was peaceful out there as we know, out here in Taylor County, Dare County. It's peaceful in the country. The thing is, God hadn't forgotten about his people, right? Um, so in the midst of all of that hopelessness, all of that desperation, God shows up. He sees the suffering of his people, and he decided to do something about it. So um, you can open up your Bibles. Uh, the first verse that we're actually going to look at is in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, verse 23 through 25. And it's up there on the screen. And it just says, it says, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. See, God sees his people, and he sees his suffering, and he knows now's the time to act. It's important to to grasp this. It's important to understand it. Um, Because sometimes when we're in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our problems, uh, we might, you know, think a couple of different things. And the first might be, you know, well, yeah, God can see me and my problem and my suffering, but it's just not that big of a deal to him. You know, so he, you know, he has more important things to worry about. Or, you know, we might think, you know, well, the Lord's just unwilling, you know, unwilling to help me because, like, it's punishment or something. Um, but the truth is, 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 and verses 24 and 25 really paint this picture that, of, of who the Lord is that he's the kind of God that sees you in your suffering and he wants to act. He wants to do something about it. So uh, we're going to move on. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to see just how, how God decided to act in um, this situation. Right. So we're just going to read these uh, the first 15 verses of chapter 3. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Just real quick, if the Lord's ever calling your name, here I am is always the go-to answer. Okay, (laughs) good, 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 got that. Awesome. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at the Lord. When the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the impression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And this is just a really good illustration, first off, of how God chooses to work in our lives. Right? God saw the Israelites in their suffering, and he decided to do something about it, right? And so the plan he came up with is, I'm going to send one guy in, and he tagged Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were writing the story, I probably wouldn't have picked Moses. I mean, you're talking about a murderer on the run from this people that he doesn't even really know, um, and, you know, like, he's supposed to be this guy that's going to save them all. Um, but, you know, that's not how God works, you know, despite Moses' really tiny, underwhelming resume. It didn't matter to God. Um, Moses was the one, and God gave him the destiny. And in that, he was speaking into Moses his, his purpose and his calling. He was speaking into Moses his true identity, right? Moses wasn't a shepherd. In God's eyes, Moses was a leader of men, and he was the one that was going to do miracles in front of a nation that was going to set God's people free, right? So God gave Moses his true identity. But it was only when Moses became willing to partner with God and accept the work that he'd been given, right? But also in that, 
as God was, was speaking into Moses, Moses' identity, God was revealing his own to him, right? Um, we, when we see that in Exodus three fourteen and 15, and I think people get this really conflicted view of God when they read the Old Testament. Let me put it this way. When they skim the Old Testament and they, and they read some of these things, you know, like, they might come up with the, this misconception that God's just all about, you know, destroying war, um, wiping the people off the planet, right? Um, and, you know, this can kind of mess up people's view of who God really is. So we have to be really careful when we're reading the Old Testament, like I said earlier, and really begin to see God through the eyes of Jesus. Because everything that Jesus is, God is. You know? and, and everything that God is, Jesus was in the scripture, you know, lived out. So here in chapter 3 of Exodus, we get a really great picture of God's heart for his people. He wasn't the one, by the way, that set them in the suffering, right? You know, the reason that Israel originally ended up in Egypt was to bless them and to save them. And that's how God worked it out, and that was his original plan. Um, So he didn't set them in that suffering. This jealous Pharaoh came along, and he decided he was going to do something to try to wipe them out. But God was the one that was going to deliver them from it, okay? And in, in Exodus chapter 3 also, we, we, get, we get this beginning of God laying out his plan to set in motion the kingdom of God. You know, he's, he's setting about to rescue his, his own people with the purpose of being their king, right? He's going to be the one that leads them out. And, you know, truth be told, this picture of Israel as God's nation is only really a shadow of what's going to come when Jesus came on earth and he began to proclaim and, and prove, you know, the kingdom of God. So it's only a shadow of it. Um, but God is really just starting to set this emotion and, and prove to humanity that this is his heart. You know, this is, this is the dream and the vision that he spoke over Abraham. And this is what he's beginning to, to set in motion here in Exodus 3 with Moses. So God reveals himself to Moses in verse 14. Um, it's, it's after Moses asks God, you know, he says, you know, I'm going to go to these people, and who should I tell them that, you know, tell the people that sent me? And God replies, tell them, I am sent you. I am. Um, so God reveals his name to be I am. And names in the Bible are a pretty important thing, right? Um, Jesus renames Peter. Peter's original name was Cephas. Um, Jesus also renames Saul to Paul. Um, God renamed Abram to Abraham. You know, it, it kind of goes on. And God, you know, is really intentional the way when he, he chooses to name things. He's, he's really intentional in it. So he was revealing a bit of himself and a bit of his identity when he chose the name I Am. Like, for me, you know, my last name is Snyder. So that reveals a little bit about me. One, it connects me to my father, right? Um, it connects me to my wife and to my family. Um, and it also connects me to my history. Um, my uncle's really into the genealogy thing, um, and I have an ancestor that was on the Mayflower. So that's kind of cool. You know, so my last name, it, it, it reveals something about who I am, um, and it, 
reveal something about my identity. And so I find it really fascinating that God, who is the uncreated one, you know, this is the name he chose for himself, right? Because nobody named God. God named himself, and he chose the name I Am. And, like, if someone were to ask me, you know, who are you? And the answer I came up with is I am who I am. It would come off really sarcastic, right? It's like it doesn't reveal anything to you about who I am um, at all. It's just being, like, really sarcastic and um, just, you know, not very gracious. But when God says it, it means something. When God says I am, he's describing himself. um, And what he's saying is he just is, you know. He always was, he is, and he always will be. And I think there's real comfort in that. Because um, the people of Israel, you know, they came to Egypt and things used to be good. They used to have all the land they needed. They used to have all the food they needed. And things are all right for a time. And then someone else came along that was going to lead them and decided they were going to put them in slavery and start killing their children. But God's telling Israel, he says, I am, I'm never going to change, I'm always going to be for you. So he's speaking into the Israelite situation. Um, when they ask who sent, who sent Moses, and Moses says, I am sent me, that there should be great comfort in that. You know, and Jesus also used the family name. Um, there... If you go to the, the Gospel of John, you don't have to turn there. But there's seven instances of Jesus when he, he makes an I am statement. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of make a reference to one real quick. Um, it's a, the first time he, he, he says this phrase, I am, um, it's in John chapter 4 when he's talking to the woman at the well. And um, he's talking to her about you know this living water stuff, and she's kind of confused. And she just kind of offhandedly says... You know, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus' response to her was, I am the Messiah. Jesus embodied God and resembled him in every way. So what does it mean for us that God's name is I am? Well, um, first off, like, like we said before, it means that God is unchanging. He's the same God that spoke to to Moses and to the Israelites that speaks to us today. And secondly, I think it means that wherever we are in life, whatever our hopes, whatever our our dreams, whatever our problems, whatever our suffering, you know, or even, you know, when we're in peace or in, in prosperity, God is, right? God is there for us. And he's going to take care of us. And he's the one ultimately that saves us. You know, so, you know, what are your problems? What are your dreams? Where are you in life? You know, what's your place and situation? I know for me, probably the biggest problem I have is a car with a busted transmission (laughs) that's been in E-Town for three weeks (laughs) because the, the shop hasn't gotten the right part in, you know. The Lord's speaking into that situation. I am. You know, he, he's got us taken care of, even though it's a huge burden on our finances. The Lord's providing for us. You know, you know, so, and the Lord's saying, you know, so what you have an addiction? The Lord says, I am. So what you have family problems? The Lord says, I am. 
So what? Your dad doesn't love you. The Lord says, I am, and I have the love for you. You know? Or, or maybe you have a dream. You know, you have this dream with God, and you don't know how you're going to get there. Well, the Lord says, I am. The Lord says, I am. I have what you need, and I'm willing to give it to you. So we don't want to get beat down by the misconception that God doesn't care about us. Like God was so stubbornly for Moses that he wasn't going to let him give up on his true identity. Right? Um, just in the 15 verses that we read, Moses tried to get out of it twice. Right? He kept coming up with excuses. And then for the next chapter and a half that we didn't read, it kind of keeps going on and on. Like Moses is like, I can't speak. Blah, 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 blah. And um, every single time, God meets jo- uh, Moses' need, needs, and he responds to his apprehension um, with himself. So that everything that we need flows out of who God is. And uh, the other thing about God, you know, he isn't just sitting behind the scenes, you know, pulling all the strings here. Um, I think it's kind of easy to to read, like, in the next couple of chapters that follow, you know, with the plagues and everything. Like, it's almost really easy to get this perception of God, like he's the wizard behind the curtain, you know. Um, but that's not who God is. In, in, in fact, in verse 13, he promises to Moses, um, when Moses says, you know, who am I to go before Pharaoh? He says, I will be with you. He promises to be active and presently engaged in the situation. So everything that Moses did from here on out, you know, and stuff that we'll be talking about in the next several weeks, you know, God was was right by Moses' side, and everything Moses did was by his will and, and by God's power. And Jesus gave the same promise to his disciples, right? Um, when he sent them out to proclaim and to do... Um, he, he left them with this promise, and I will be with you even to the end of the age, right? So this is the heart of God, that he comes into our situation with his presence and his power, and he is the solution to all of our problems, to all of our hurts, um, and he's the, he's the solution to what we really need in this life. All right, so this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to start to wrap things up a little bit. Um, we're gonna do. We're gonna kick off ministry time, uh, just with a little bit of congregational exercise, if that's okay. Um, so what I'd like you to do is maybe get with one or two people around you. You know, it's cool that like it's cool if you know them, and that might even be a good thing. Um, so you're just gonna. I wanted you to get with a couple of people, and um, what I want want us to happen is I want us to be Moseses for each other, right? Because God, God gave Moses this this plan, you know, he says, I want you to go set my people free. And I want you to lead them on. Um, so I want us to just kind of you know, get together and pray for and bless one another and um, let go of some things maybe even that, that might be holding us back, some things that might be ch- chaining us down. Um, I feel like there might be some freedom that needs to be released tonight. And so we're going to get to do that for each other. Um, but I also want to make this point too. Like, how many of you know that God didn't just send Moses to say, let my people go, period, right? Um, That wasn't all that he said. He said, let my people go, 
so that they may worship me. Okay? So, like, God's not just concerned with your freedom, but he has further plans for you. And so maybe, maybe you're not in a place where you need freedom, but maybe you're in a place where you just want to go deeper with God. You want to go deeper into that relationship um, and deeper in worship to him. And so, like, we're just going to use this time, too, you know. Um, one, you know, if you have anything that you need to be freed from or whatever, be open and honest with each other and ask each other to pray over that. But then, too, you know, if you just want, just need to command your heart to go deeper to the Lord um, and, and to, you know, go deeper in worship. We just want to bless that and, and um, encourage that in each other, too. So that's what I want to do for about the next five minutes. Maybe we can put on some soft music or something like that while, while we pray over each other. Um, and then I'll kind of bring us back together and, and wrap everything.